Hi, welcome to Payments and More, the Alive Show. I'm Nico, CEO of Alive. Each week, I will have a chat with successful women and men from the payment industry. We will speak about their business journeys and the lessons they learned. I will ask them to share their views, their opinion about the most relevant topics in payments and more. My aim is to bring you off the beaten strike stories, views and perspectives from a different angle to shed new light on what's hot in payment space and its future. We will go with the flow. Let's see where our guests take us. This is Payment and More. Enjoy the ride. Today, our special guest is Paul Smith. Paul worked 20 years at Experian, the credit bureau, where I was in charge of very complex data projects. Amongst those, he was the global product director for fraud and identity solution. For the last 12 years, Paul lived in Asia, where native data revolution happened, and is now working with allies as our data guru. We will have great takes away on this episode of Payments and More with Paul as a guest. Amongst them, why is it time to be under steroids when thinking about your data strategy, the new trends in ID verification and authentication, and we'll take a glimpse at what achieved those ASEAN data players with payment and fraud data. As usual, you will have the opportunity to win a one-week trip for two to Ibiza with a person of your choice with our famous Allies game. Finally, we will also dig into Paul's best-kept secret. This is a tradition now. Paul started his career as a custom officer as well as a VIT inspector. Stay tuned to learn more about what happened after that. Welcome to Payments and More, the Allies show. Enjoy the ride. Paul, welcome to Payments and More, the Allies show. Nico, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm super happy to have you as a guest today. You've been swimming in data for the over 20 years, working at Experian, a reference in the data sector, and you are now working at Alize as a data guru. When you joined Experian in the year 2000, and luckily after the Y2K drama, what was the preoccupation at the time? I mean, I remember Experian owning a lot of data. What was the question? I think the big question at the time, Nico, was, how do we make data decision ready? So how do we make it more usable? How do we make it more available and appropriate to our clients at the particular stage of the consumer engagement lifecycle? So you moved to Asia after for experience. You saw many things happening there, 12 years in Asia. It must have been a very interesting experience. Why did you move to Asia? I went out to Hong Kong, first of all, in 2000. And then I was there, as you say, for 12 years, just returned from Singapore last year. The big difference, I think, that, that, that I saw, that's a lack of maturity in the market compared to working in particularly Europe and the UK, but a much more agile and innovative approach to solving problems. And not only that, Nico, but without the legacy platforms, the legacy technologies and so on that would need to be undone in order to take the next step. Just after the big giant Alibaba, JD.com arrived and made it happen, we'll come back to that. You know, Paul, all our guests get an award. This is a time for me to praise you. This is the only moment of the show you cannot speak. Okay. I remember 
When I was president of Experian, Hispano America, and then in Spain, where I created the, the credit bureau there, at the time Experian was 15,000 employees. And whenever there was a data problem, everybody was saying, call Paul Smith. Uh, you were the data guru already at the time. It's always good to be a reference or an encyclopedia on something. So really, congratulations for that. One of my mentors told me at Experian, you must beat the data until they say the truth. And you've been part of that game, of that boxing game. Would you agree on that definition? Yes, I think so. I, I would add one more thing, Nico, and that is there is tons of data out there. But are you making the best use of the data that you have? Much of my experience working with clients, certainly across Asia in the last 12 years, where there has been an explosion of interest about social media and big data, you find people attracted to that latest best thing, yet they have huge data sets sitting in-house that they're not making use of. So absolutely, beat the data until you get what you want out of it but make sure you're using everything that you have. Let's take a dive. Time to be on steroids, you told me, when speaking about data. I know you have a passion for customer centricity, all the technological transformation, the, the insights from a data and analytics point of view. And when it comes to payment of fraud, it's also about data. Why is it time to be on steroids? Is it a race? I think it's a race to address those first two issues that you talked about, Nico. So the pace and extent of technological change, whether it's in software or indeed in analytics, together with a massive shift in customer expectations around how we provide them with services anytime, anywhere, mean that unless you are on steroids, you're going to be behind the eight ball you are going to be left standing and your customers are going to go elsewhere. What do you admire as a company in the industry when it comes to the usage of data? Okay, let me talk a little bit about some of the companies that I was working with, um, particularly during my last four years uh, in Singapore. And that was with a lot of the marketplace providers. Started life either as comparison websites or as ride-hailing companies and very quickly expanded their remit and expanded their remit particularly into sort of full-stack service providers, including financial services. And they did that on the back of the use that they made of the data that they had. And the integration of tools of new machine learning and AI technologies and the pace at which they were working to do that was really phenomenal. And equally, not afraid to try something, and then if it didn't work, unwind. So that's the case where the data is really the primary asset of the company, and all their future business is built on this data usage. Absolutely, absolutely. And the scale and the expansion comes from that. We all agree, Paul, that everything is moving so fast at the moment. The last five years, we saw the fintechs entering the market. We saw very huge, large platforms. You have new entrants with new capabilities. Could you help us organize our thought about this change that is happening? 
One of the things, Nico, and we've touched on this when I've spoken to you before, is that I think the relationships within the ecosystem need to change. As consumers demand more from service providers, whether that's a payment service, a fraud prevention service, or or, or indeed just a retail service, they need to take a level of responsibility, I think, around how those services are delivered. And, And the example that I like to use is the example of of identity verification. So I am a strong believer that consumers should be carrying their uh, identity credentials with them and using them to confirm to service providers they are who they say they are and to trigger fast-track recognition processes better service, less friction in the customer journey. So I think one of the the things that I would say that is critical is that that set of relationships within the ecosystem changes rather than simply being the service providers responsible for effectively managing the risk of an engagement. That's a very interesting point. It's It's almost philosophical, no? What's the correct answer? Is it about the the merchants having to struggle to authenticate the customer, or should we demand the customer to authenticate themselves? Yeah, uh, I mean, who is who is supposed to do the effort here? Yeah, I think a lot of that sits with the customer. And if you look more broadly across the horizon, and you look at some of the initiatives taken by governments worldwide, whether that is India with their biometric digital ID solution or Singapore with its SingPass solution, access to services, ownership of your data and confirmation of your identity credentials is all being done through a token that you, a secure token that you carry around with you in order to access those services. Let's take, uh, because not, not everybody uh, knows uh, as much as you do, Asia, let's take the example of India. Mm-hmm. Indian consumers, therefore, uh, with all the difficulties of the Indian market, have an easy way to prove they are who they are, who they claim to be, to any uh, actors. Yes. So is it on the mobile or is it, uh, how is it? So, so it's online, offline. And I think this is the beauty of a lot of these solutions. So the Adar solution in India, which was the registration of biometric credentials for about 1.1 million people, I think now. And that token, the Adar token, is used for any type of transaction. So that could be an application for credit, it could be access to a health service, it could be a commitment of a payment, and uses biometric technology deliberately, because obviously there's some of the challenges in market around literacy and so on, as well as distance and infrastructure, mean that it has to be a very portable credential. That's very, uh, very interesting. ID verification by opposite to transaction verification, because we've been swimming in uh, transaction verification for 20 years now, and merchants are still trying to check if a transaction is from somebody who claims it is. Do you see, I mean, what's the end game here? In 10 years, 
will we forget about transaction verification and, and just move everything to ID verification? It's an interesting point, Nico. So, you know, I've grown up in a, an environment where we have always looked at a multi-layered verification on a transaction, like a payment transaction. And it has been increasingly the combination of those different layers that have resulted in an ultimately safe and secure transaction. But when you look at the pace of change that has been happening over the last three to five years, and you look at the capabilities that are now available to us, and if you start to fast forward that prediction of mine that uh, consumers will become increasingly responsible for verifying their own payments, it doesn't take a huge leap to say, actually, I'm less worried about verifying the transaction if I know the person has verified themselves. Fraud challenges, fraud is still around. Honestly, there is enough data in the world to prevent fraud, right? So something is going wrong. What would you say is going wrong in fraud prevention? I firmly believe, Nico, that we are always trying to catch up. So you've got the you know the usual challenge that fraudsters to a large extent tend to be one step ahead of the game or are incentives to be one step ahead of the game. You've also got the traditional balloon problem where I squeeze one part of the balloon and it just expands somewhere else and usually somewhere that we used to protect very well but had forgotten about because we've switched all our attention elsewhere. So managing and maintaining that ecosystem while also evolving to address tomorrow's problems is indeed a huge challenge. But I do believe that the advent of some of the technologies that we are seeing today, and in particular, the integration of AI and ML solutions, as well as a lot more work on what I call recognition. So if I can recognize that this really is Paul who's coming to do a transaction at the moment, and I have to do little or nothing to verify that particular transaction, then I can put more resources in dealing with those transactions that are much more super risky. So yes, I'd agree with you. Uh, there should be enough data. I think for various reasons, the fraud typologies and so on are always evolving and changing. And it is difficult to keep pace. But I think we increasingly we we are. And you can see that in some of the stabilization of fraud rates across the world currently. So it's funny because we, we are involved day to day with very complex organizations. Sometimes, as usual, they face fraud problem. When we get in, the first thing we, we ask is what type of data do you have? They don't know. Uh, shouldn't, be people, shouldn't people just start an Excel and list <laughs> the data points yes. they have on the consumers? Because that's something 99% of companies are not doing, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, I so much agree with you, Nico. That 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 is so true, and and it happens. You know, it's not just in the fraud and ID verification. It's not just in the payment space. You know, I've worked with huge retail banks that have had data 
kind of falling out of their ears. And you say, well, are you using that? Uh, no, I hadn't thought of that. They don't know. And even when they do know, they're not quite sure how to use it. And then you have this very big solution provider market. If you wish to uh, either enrich the data or uh, just uh, put some intelligence on it, it's a very complex market for, for new joiners to this industry. Uh, you, you never know where to start or who to choose or if it has to be a combination or one-stop shop. Just to do some name dropping, uh, there are two types of companies. You have the data sources. I think I already said that, but I, I'm very fascinated, for example, by the success of what Pages Pro, who then became Ikata and was just acquired by MasterCard. The only thing they did was to put in the correct format in a usable way some existing data, right? But still, it was a, a massive success. Or on the other hand, you have those very complex orchestration platform where you connect, you can access to all data. What's the right mix here? Or what are the, the type of provider you have? Yeah. So in my mind, Nico, I, I typically split the providers between, as you say, those who own, manage and run data sources and making those available in the right way, the right format is probably the biggest challenge that, that those companies have. And that'll include people like White Pages and others who are doing more interesting things with historic data sources, as well as maybe even some of the big uh, credit bureau names, whether it's Experian or TransUnion, CRIF or whoever. I'd then say that, yes, there are these orchestrators. And the, the orchestrators to me are some of the, I think they are the bets for the future because I'm a big believer in creating sort of API first environments where we can plug in different users. Because if I have a data source that I've picked from white pages, then I perhaps need a smart solution from another type of organization, one of the new uh, growing fintechs, to take that data, to interpret it, to apply it to the problem, and to come up with a resource. And I need an orchestrator to navigate my way through that, and perhaps en route using AI and machine learning to either enhance the decision-making or indeed even to enhance the orchestration through the flow. So I, I typically look at these providers as uh, data sources, fintechs and other solution providers, AI and ML, and then orchestration. In most of the time, when we work uh, and review the data flows and the data enrichment of a client, of a merchant, let's say, strangely, the first thing we notice is that they are wasting money on some data they don't need. Like they will do a call uh, to a credit bureau first and then, but sometimes it's a returning customer already authentified. Is it something you observe as well? Definitely. And this goes back to the whole challenge, Nico, that I, I touched on earlier about recognition. So when we start to look holistically at the customer journey, the customer is demanding that we recognize them as an existing customer and treat them accordingly, perhaps as a VIP or, or, or somebody who already has a particular service. But equally, if we recognize that customer, we can actually manage the cost of acquisition and servicing or, or 
you know, the cost of servicing that particular client request. So, yes, recognition is not only key, but will increasingly become key as we move forward. Very complex question for you, Paul, but uh, I know you can handle it. What do you foresee <laughs> as new type of data available? Uh, I know that even the, the mobile hardware company can tell you if your mobile phone is horizontal or not. <laughs> tell us a little bit about those new yeah. type of data. So it's, it's, not, it's not new in the sense that it is currently a, a bit of a buzzword, Nico, but I think biometrics is increasingly going to have a, an important role to play in the next generation of solutions. And we're, we're already seeing how adoption in relatively simple uh, transactions and, and usage with people's mobile phones is quite extensive. And certainly from my experience in Asia, both in Hong Kong and Singapore and increasingly in, uh, in, in India, in Korea, biometric identification, use of biometrics is almost universally accepted. So I think if you, know, if, if, if you were going to give me the keys to the data treasure trove for tomorrow, I would love that key to open up a big box of, uh, of biometric data because I think that's where the future lies as well. It's already uh, happening. I was uh, one year ago uh, visiting some fintechs uh, in Tel Aviv, yes. massive building, only one guard and all the security. And I mean, Tel Aviv is not, uh, you know, uh, you have to watch security, of course. Yes. All the security was on the way you walked, your temperature, your face, yes. etc. They could, right. they just needed one guard to, to custody yes. uh, this 10,000 people uh, building. Yes. This is going to move to the online world, I suspect. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt. And again, I am a great believer in, Nico, online, offline. So I think what we will see, and you've seen it, Yoti, a, a digital ID provider, they have just launched a solution for the UK post office. And that is a solution which supports online, offline transactions. And what it means is your credentials, your identity, your access is managed in exactly the same way, whether you're there physically in person, whether you're accessing it digitally and online. And I think that is going to be uh, an increasing trend as well. Here come your difficult golden minute, Paul. We do that at every show for you. I know you're, you're a champion, so it's going to be a difficult one. <laughs> Let's say you own all the data about consumer in the world, yes. a merchant comes to you and you can give him uh, only three types of data or three sets of data. What would be those three? So I think the first one would be the historic data around their customers. So what is that set of data that allows me to recognize this person and exactly what do they mean to me as a customer? The second one would be biometric data, so that increasingly we can engage almost through whatever channel we want. And the third set, because I think this brings the 
circularity to the, the equation would be the outcome and performance data. So what was the, the impact and result of what I did with that person and what can I learn from it then to drive my next engagement? So historical data, biometric data, and performance data. Thank you, yes. Paul. That was a great answer, I must say. Before we get uh, into the more personal side of you, this is time for our game. I have a box in my in my desk, a box. Something related in payment is inside the box. The audience can guess what is in the box. You can ask me a question. It will give a hint to our listeners. And whoever posts the correct answer in our LinkedIn page will win a week holidays to Ibiza for two from anywhere in the world. What is your question, Paul? Okay, so Nico, I wanted to know what color the box is. The colors is the Allies color, pink. Cool. <laughs> What's inside is not pink, if that was a question. Uh, okay, okay. So there's no relationship between the pink box and the thing inside it. No, no. It's what's inside is multicolor. Yeah, I, I think I've got three. Hit. Yeah, I got three three questions then. That's no, only one. You have to listen to the other episodes of our podcast to know more about uh, about what's inside the box and more hints. It's getting okay. to a close now. Huh? We, okay. we gave a lot of hints. Let's go more personal. Uh, you started as a custom officer before joining Experia. How do you move from being a custom officer to a data specialist at Experia? What, yeah. what happened in, the, in between? Okay. So, so actually, it, it was an evolution, Nico, and, and it, it wasn't one that I ever saw coming. But when I was working for uh, Revenue and Customs in the UK, I was working around, effectively around risk assessment of, of small businesses. And we were so fed up with the way that the uh, South End computer was churning out risk ratings and recommendations. And we were on a performance system where we you know, got enhanced performance pay if we came out with uh, good assessments that we established our own. And that initial interest in trying to replace a, a mainframe-based, fairly tedious risk assessment with a much more nimble and agile desk-based solution was my first foray into data. Then the application, and th this is really important, has been an underpinning of my career, Nico, is the application of technology and solutions and data to solving real-world business problems. And once I'd started doing that, it was like a, a natural progression to then say, okay, where else can I take this passion and where else could I apply that approach to solving real-world problems with data and technology? Do you know how Experian was created? I know the answer. I do know the answer. <laughs> That lord, it was uh, uh, owned by a lord who was also yes. uh, owner of Burberry, as a matter of fact, yes. and Argos and many brands in the yes. UK. And he noticed that whoever bought a sofa would buy another sofa five years after and started to, yes. to put a list together. Isn't mm -hmm. it incredible? Yes. One of the things that always struck me about that, Nico, is the experience story in and, and particular, the great universal stores story is the book 
version of Amazon in many respects. Indeed. It is exactly the same business model. One is driven by super smart modern technology. Uh, One was a very manual, tedious process. It's incredible. When did you fail in your career, Paul? Oh, oh, that's an interesting one. And and again, I I spent a long time, uh, a lot of time in the last five years working with marketplaces, uh, clients and and fintechs, particularly in, in Singapore and Hong Kong. And my biggest failure and my biggest learning was an arrogance around knowing the answer and knowing the answer purely from a vendor's perspective. So as either a consultant or a product manager, my approach was to tell them how they should do it, tell them what they should do, because I know best, rather than stepping back, listening, understanding, and then trying to work through, perhaps more collaboratively, how we solve the real problem. And I think that was probably my biggest, and it wasn't a total failure because we went on to do some very, very successful things, but it probably took me nine months to kind of wake up and smell the coffee. Paul, I know you're you love cycling. You're doing like over 160 kilometers in a day, 100 miles. What do you think when you're on your bicycle? Is um, it a way to I, escape or you're just making your next plan for data analysis? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of both. First thing, Nico, I do not cycle 100 miles a day. I will be doing a 100-mile ride this weekend in one day, but my regular ride is probably more like 20 miles or 40K or something like that. So I don't want the, the word to get out that I'm I'm something I'm not. But uh, I'm glad you have time to walk for allies next to the bicycle. <laughs> yes, yes. I'll be cycling down to Madrid or, or, or something. But no, I use it to to both things. I, I do find it very relaxing. It helps me de-stress. It helps me get a perspective on things, particularly when I'm out in beautiful countryside. But also some mornings when you've got that big problem to, to crunch over the roads ahead of you, you don't have to pay too much attention to what's going on you can sort of churn stuff through and think things through and challenge yourself. And so so it addresses both those. I have many of my guests that are really music fans. That's your case as well. You love jazz, Afro, Latin music, hip hop, fusion. That's incredible. Now, we were speaking the other day with Mark Wallick, who is a regular attendee of the Burning Man Festival or Catherine going to Bruno Mars concert. I see you in an underground jazz bar in New York. Can you play any music? Are you a saxophonist? No, no. I tried tried to learn to play the guitar at one time in my life, but I was pretty appalling. So I have to just just bask in the pleasure of listening to others uh, doing that, Nico. And the New York jazz bar would be a great place to be. Paul, this is already the end of the show. Uh, I would have spoken with you two more hours. You're really passionate about data. Uh, our listeners can catch Paul on uh, his bicycle in Lincolnshire in the UK or getting in touch with Elias. We also include your 
LinkedIn profile address in the show notes that are on our website. For whoever is new or old as a payment manager, a fraud manager, could you summarize in one sentence where they should start with data? I think, and I've touched on it a couple of times, Nico, what do you currently have? What do you have? Are you making use of it? And does that then mean you can carefully choose what else you need to complement it? Perfect answer, Paul. Take your Excel, list your data, and then we can have a chat about it. Thank you, Paul, for participating in Payment and More, the live show. It was great having you today. It's a real pleasure again. Uh, thanks, Nico. Thanks for joining Payments and More, the Allied Show. If you enjoyed the interview as much as we did, please share this podcast with your network. Leave us a five-star review, of course, and subscribe now to Payments and More in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is the best way not to miss any episode with great guests. You can find more information about our guests today and how to connect in the show notes or on Allies' website. Last, I love to hear from you. Please let me know your suggestion for the next episodes, guests to interview, topics to address, or questions you'd like me to ask to our guests in our Allies LinkedIn page or in the comments section of this podcast. See you in the next episode of Payments and More. I'm Nico. We are Allies.